right, I'm sitting here at Metazoa Brewing. I got Nick and Rob, both brewers here at Metazoa. Thanks for doing this, guys. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, no I've been Super Bowl uh, hangovers, any? Uh, <laughs> bed by eight thirty. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Well, again, I love uh, I love sitting down with the brewers behind the behind the operations because you get to learn a lot more about the beer and whatnot. And for those that may be unfamiliar with uh, the Metazoa story, if you wouldn't mind, just kind of. Given everybody that may not know or be aware of you, kind of the origin story of how Metazoa came about. Sure. Um, so we've been open since April 1st, 2016. Um, our owner, Dave Worthington, uh, started this brewery. He's uh, started several businesses throughout his life. Uh, he started this brewery uh, pretty much with the focus of raising money for animal organizations. So the vessel is beer. We make the beer. Obviously, we're a brewery, but the reason that we do all of this is to raise money for the animal organizations. Um, so that was, what, almost six years ago? Um, yeah, since then, we've kind of just been uh, chugging along in our tap room and dog park and then get a, get a little bit into distribution. And uh, it's been a, a lot of growth uh, in the last six years. Well, that's one of the things I've loved when I've come here before is the amount of uh, dogs that are always in here, man. It's, a, it's an extremely pet-friendly place, and that's exciting to see. Of course, I have a... A crazy pit bull, so she doesn't do well with others. We're trying to curb that, but uh, she's getting better. But uh, that aesthetic of trying to serve—I mean, how much have you guys raised for some of the, the pet organizations that you that you work with? Um, we have raised over one hundred fifty thousand dollars. I don't know the exact number. I know right at the end of nineteen, we hit a hundred thousand, and then this past year, we did about fifty. I don't know what we did in twenty twenty. Um, yeah, we can't just Well, that's fantastic. Well, one of the things I love about the craft brew universe is the creativity, and that's emblematic in the the names of all the beers. And my go-to with you guys is Hop Eponymous, but I've had Napa Hammock and a few of the others there. Do you guys have a process for how you come up with the the names of the beer? Yeah, we have a pretty good built-in process for that, with uh, being um, uh, very obviously pet friendly and animal focused. Uh, it's a lot of animal puns. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a couple of beers that are named after like people's pets, you know, uh, employee pets. Uh, and you mostly just, uh, just really goofy spins on animal names or some of them are just animal names. Uh, yeah. So we have a pretty easy built in sort of, uh, program there, which is nice because it can be a, a giant pain to name beers. <laughs> I can see that. You know, uh, especially talking with you guys on the brewery side, everybody kind of has a, a first uh, craft beer that hooked them. You know, mine was uh, uh, Fat Tire. You know, oh, yeah. I had mm-hmm. Fat Tire in college when I moved, transitioned from just drinking the lightest and the cheapest thing to then having my palate mm-hmm. expand. What was the first craft beer that hooked you guys and said, hey, maybe beer's going to be more part of my life than I originally thought? Uh, I would say the first ones that really got me were like Guinness would have been kind of the first thing. I turned 21. I was living in Ireland at the time. So Guinness uh, in, in the west of Ireland, uh, there's a brewery uh, that makes a beer called Galway Hooker. Uh, they're based in Galway. And it's like, essentially, it's a European version of Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, mm-hmm. a beer that I had not had at that point. Sure. And then when I came back to the U.S., the Sierra Nevada Pale Ale and everything. Uh, and it just goes on from there to all the, the heavy hitters. The, right. You know, your all your Russian River stuff, your Firestone Walker stuff, pretty much all all the big guys. But it all started with the Irish beers for me. How about you, Rob? Yeah, um, I would say one of the first craft beers that I ever had was Stone Arrogant Bastard, which I despised um, when I was twenty five, 
sure I was 21. We'll just say I was 21. Um, <laughs> but I was living out in Washington State. Um, so, but it just opened my eyes to like, oh, this is beer. Like, this is not beer. This is not like what I had known beer was. Um, so I didn't really enjoy that experience. But uh, the original Ram Brewery um, mm-hmm. is out there in Lakewood, Washington, which was about 20 minutes from where I was at. So we used to go there and, with some friends and uh, have dinner, watch games and drink some beer. So I was that's really where I sort of cut my teeth first was on their Blondale and their Porter, sort of two opposite ends of the spectrum um, of what they did Um and then, so that was really where I cut my teeth. And then, you know, sort of Sierra Nevada Pale was really the beer that was like, oh, okay. Like, mm-hmm. this is what we're talking about here. So, yeah. And then that's, uh, yeah, that was, the rest is history, they say, I suppose. Fantastic. It's, uh, you know, when I look at around what you guys have set up here, is there is there any other breweries around the state or maybe, you know, your experience in Ireland that kind of helped aid in the aesthetic of what you guys were trying to create here at Metazoa? Um, there are a lot of influences. Um, neither of us were on board when it was all being set up, but I've heard plenty of stories and I think most of the influence comes from Asheville, uh, Mm -hmm. North Carolina and our owner loves Asheville. Um, and he'll talk about like the garage doors, like all over the place. We're influenced by X brewery and Mm -hmm. Asheville and the, uh, whatever the tables the idea for the we have like bowling alley slat tables um, that came from another brewery there so I think it was just he loves to travel and go to different breweries and I feel like when you go to you know 250 breweries or something you just pull a little bit from each one and then create something uh, that is yourself mm-hmm. very good well you mentioned Ram Rod uh, Rob uh, you know what if you if you had to drink any other beer uh from indiana other than your own other than your own what um what brewery do you guys like if you name a couple outside of what you guys create here that you that you enjoy yeah we've got really we have several really awesome breweries i'll stick to a handful um but uh really where i would say i spend the most of my money and that i spend the most time drinking outside of here would be sun king and daredevil Mm -hmm. are the two main uh, breweries i love chili water um um, I would say uh, Moontown um, has done some really great stuff. Um, Taxman, mm-hmm. um, they're doing some like really world class mm-hmm. Belgian beers, specifically their darker beers. And so I don't drink a ton of their beer, but like the amount of respect that I have for what they're doing there um, is great. So yeah, um, yeah. so those are my main kind of spots that I enjoy drinking. Yeah, mm-hmm. the same. And beer brewery, I think, yeah. Uh, yeah. belongs on that list as well. Uh, and then shout out to government house the oh, yeah. the yeah. newest brewery in indianapolis mm-hmm. I, I believe still at this point and they're just uh, uh really knocking it out of the park over there it's been interesting when i sat down with dave cold and then i sat down with the guys at trident it's like they were kind of some of the early craft brew starters here mm-hmm. in indiana yeah. i think dave told me at trident when they had when they started they were maybe like less than 40 breweries and oh, now yeah. there's over 100 and approaching 190 mm-hmm. here in the state um, you know, I often ask any business owner is, you know, growth can be fickle and it could be challenging. It can be awesome. How have you guys managed the kind of the growth of Metazoa since the, since the start here where you feel good about it, but you're not getting over your skis and yeah. feeling comfortable with where you're, you're at growth wise. Yeah. It's been a really interesting ride. We started almost exclusively selling out of our tap room. Uh, and then by kind of mid 2017, we started to branch out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and since then, we've had three kind of major expansions in our current tap room. 
uh, where our original brewery is. Uh, that's just adding tanks, adding a canning line, some things like that. Uh, and then about 2019, we ran out of space. So now we're in the middle of a much larger expansion, sort of leaning out over the skis a little more, kind of making a, a bigger investment in the brand and for growth in the future. Um, so we'll be moving all of our production over to another building a couple miles from here um, and really leaning into more of a distribution model while still feeding our keeping 20 plus beers on tap here and any other tap rooms we end up opening. Gotcha. You mentioned canning. Have, did the pandemic kind of push you forward towards that route or is that a lane that you guys were already starting to go down the path of? Cause I've seen your beers more and more around, around the city and some of the local spots too. So. Yeah. I think we already owned a canning line at that point, which was pretty lucky. I mm-hmm. would say there were a lot of um, issues with people being able to get cans, being able to get the, mobile canners were Mm -hmm. just just couldn't keep up with the demand but we'd had it for about a year and a half at that point Um, but yeah as we just grow we're just making more beer and more of it's going into cans so we have more to feed the demand on the market i don't think we're we're not hitting the demand at this point um which is not a bad place to be absolutely Um, yeah yeah i think that's a big part of our growth is just getting it's really something to be able to get your beer into people's hands, uh, either at a grocery store or liquor store, and have them drink it at home and be sort of front of mind there. Nice. One of my favorite questions to ask, especially for the, the brewers behind the operation, is obviously the taps are your successes. Mm. Coming from a brewing background and everything you've done or what you're trying, you know, give me a fun story around maybe a failure of something that you tried that just didn't come out, look good on paper, but just... Was DOA? How, know, much, how much time do we have? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we've. Um, I've had plenty of poor experiences with anywhere from. When you look as like a younger brewer, I had several misses. You know, sometimes you try to get too cute. Um, and uh, yeah, I've ruined beers by overly, you know, overly using adjuncts and things like that. So yeah. That's like the biggest one, and I don't know that I can think of any one specifically. Um, but I mean, I've dumped beer. We've, you know, had contaminated batches here, which sometimes is just something that happens. Uh, yeah, we had, uh, some smoke tainted hops that we had to dump a bunch of beer. So anywhere from recipe design mistakes to process involved mistakes, not here, um, but mm-hmm. prior, uh, at prior breweries for me. And then, uh, uh, bad luck. Um, I mean, I've personally run the gamut of any experience you could imagine <laughs> sure. of making a horrible beer and having to send it down the drain. Um, we've been in a very good spot here lately. We were just kind of recently talking about it that we, it's been a while since we've had a true miss, um, which just happens. I mean, they will happen again, you know, but even just like from a foundational, like the beer from recipe to, you know, grain to glass, sort of from recipe development all the way through process to pouring it out of the faucet. Um, we're in a pretty good spot right now that I'm sure I just jinxed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Knock yeah. On the wood. yeah. Every now and again, you'll get an ingredient that you just think is really going to work. Um, for us, Sabro hops, we kind of went in a little, a little hard on some <laughs> Sabro hops early on mm-hmm. and it did not work for us. Um, the beers were fine. We didn't dump them or anything, but not what we were looking for. Um, <laughs> And yeah, we, we, we don't use Sabra hops anymore. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's like, it's one of those things you never know until you try something and sure. a hop that everyone was in love with Sabro in 2018, 2019. Um, and when we were finally able to get some, we were super excited and we overdid it. Um, it's a very characterful hop that 
can taste like sort of lime lime flavored pine salt and like coconut cream it's a really strange yeah. mm-hmm. hop uh, and you can definitely overdo yeah overdoing it is the only thing we've done with it. yeah we haven't been able to find a good balance <laughs> with that hop <laughs> yeah. I understand well follow up is there anything that kind of maybe went off the rails but was kind of a an idea forming for something that maybe on your tap room right now uh, not right now, but even Sabro turned itself into, we made a beer called Porky Pineapple um, that we kind of leaned into that sort of citrusy and uh, uh, coconutty thing. And we added pineapple to an IPA and used up some of our Sabro. Uh, and it was extremely popular uh, with people here in the tap room. It's one of those beers that the brewers, we didn't care for it, but it's not about us. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that is a great example of one where... Um, even from the bad things, you'll learn something. You can, if you're not learning from every batch of beer, you're just kind of wasting your time. Yeah, yeah that's interesting because when I sat down with Dave Cole, he's like, We make cream ale, it's kind of like the seasonal, and we we're just trying something, and now it's 40% of our revenue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it wasn't something we were going in thinking like this is going to be one of our staples, but then you get surprised by your audience telling you what they like, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, is there any other ones on your current tap that you felt that way that maybe you're your your membership here and your patrons told you like you need to have this all the time trash panda for sure yeah trash um panda. that's our um sort of vanilla latte inspired blonde ale um and yeah we basically made this as a trial for another beer that we do um and it quickly was i mean our number one selling taproom beer and won a gold medal at the great american beer festival last year and that kind of pushed us and it's a beer that we enjoy it's a tasty beer it's really pleasant i mean it was something that we knew that we were going to brew again after we tried it the first time but it has taken off so much that we cannot take it off tap and it will be (laughs) it will be a permanent fixture in the draft wall at metazoa that's kind of like business 101 right it's listen to your customer exactly (laughs) especially when they tell you something's something's great is there any is there any trends in the industry that you guys are seeing that you want to try like we're starting to see sours a lot more we're starting to see Obviously, a lot of the bourbon barrel stuff that Dave sure. doing mm-hmm. a tax man and some of the other things. Is there any trends that you guys see that are beneficial that you guys are going to attempt here in the coming year? Yeah, lager is the big thing that we're leaning into. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned our expansion earlier, a big part of that is we're setting ourselves up to make uh, lager the way they do in Europe, in Germany and in um, Chechia. So we'll be decoction mashing, uh, we'll horizontal lagering tanks, kind of the whole thing. So we're going in. Uh, fairly hard on this trend. Uh, lager is not the most risky thing. Everyone drinks lager. Uh, it's just a matter of we need to make one that's um, interesting enough for our customers and for the general public to really lean into. Um, but I'd say that's our biggest uh, gamble, not gamble even, but it's the one thing, the one trend that we're seeing craft lager grow a little bit. And we're wanting to kind of grab that pretty hard here in our local scene at least. Understood. Um, in my day to day, I'm a financial advisor, wealth planner and finance guy. And, you know, when I sit down with prospects for the first time, I just try to come from a foundational base of education, guidance and counseling. And, you know, I just try to educate them that there's essentially four challenges to creating wealth as it pertains to your business here centered around beer. What are some of the challenges that you guys are facing? You know, I get a myriad of different answers, especially coming out of the last 18 months that we did as yeah. opposed to you know, just being freeform. But what are some of the challenges you guys face that you're looking to overcome here in the coming year? I mean, it's agricultural product. So this year, barley prices are up 40%. And 
you can you just have to absorb it i mean there's no you can't make beer without barley mm-hmm. so every year like in 2020 we had smoke tainted hops from the pacific northwest this year we had a poor barley harvest in canada and in the upper midwest and uh the year before that the hop harvest in europe was really bad so it's just one of those things that you can rely on something going there's too many moving parts and a manufacturing business like this that something will go wrong aluminum costs yeah, through the can, roof can shortages yeah. um yeah lead times for stainless are crazy mm, too obviously a pandemic we were i mean since we didn't we do not offer food here we have a food truck um but since we're pet friendly we're not allowed to have our own kitchen so we don't operate as a restaurant so during covid we were while other breweries were able to operate if they had food we were considered breweries and not restaurants you know so uh we were our doors were completely closed um for several months um during the pandemic so that's you know it's things like that that you don't really think about but it's like three months of lost business during the summer now is we're still trying to make that up and we'll never be able to you know um so and then also while we're going through expansion and growing um we're going to be you know opening a new tap room we've got a new brewery that we're building out um so i think uh, and you know while we're trying to feed demand we can't currently meet the demand that we're seeing um, from bars and restaurants for our distribution network and so not trying to get ahead of ourselves there and again like you talk about like getting too over your skis yeah. you know still uh like maintaining a responsible level of growth um you know you've seen over the years countless breweries over expand um over you know and they just never are able to make up the money that they spent on expansion. So, you know, trying to do that responsibly is very challenging. And so we're going to, we're going to be seeing that in the next couple of years for sure. Um, which is, I mean, it's, it's exciting, but again, risky. And sure. it's, uh, that's a big, yeah. Potential pitfall. Now you mentioned the new location. Is it going to be downtown here? Or is it going to be more North? Where, what are you guys thinking? Yeah. So we've got a new, um, our new brewery, um, we'll be building out on Miley Avenue, um, on West Washington, South past the zoo, sort of, uh, like right around the corner from working man's friend is probably the, (laughs) uh, what, uh, most people would, you know, sort of know that Stringtown area for. Um, so no long term, you know, no, sorry, no short term plans for a tap room there, but, uh, we did just the Indy star just <laughs> spilled the beans on us that we purchased a, a property up at, uh, in Fishers at 116th and Allisonville, mm. um, that we will be building a tap room out oh, uh, very nice. up there. So that'll be our first big tap room expansion, uh, which we're all very excited about. That's fantastic. I live up in Noblesville. So, you know, very rarely do I make the track down here, but when I do, I kind of swing through here and go to Indiana yeah, City yeah. and a few others, but that's, that's exciting. So what, what's the target date for that? For that to be open? You guys thinking, you know, don't <laughs> be open when it's open it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a lot right now so we're building the building we're doing yeah. it all uh, I think the projection now would be April of 2023 um, but yeah it's construction man so yeah. it could be three yeah. months before that it could be nine months after it's yeah. really hard to say yeah pricing on uh, on materials is uh, even finding the labor to right. do some of yeah. this stuff is mm-hmm. difficult right now Yep. Is it going to be set up similar to here? Pet friendly, open yeah. air kind of. Definitely, yeah. yeah. We we've learned a couple things that we'll try to fix, but other than that, I mean, the model works. Um, it works alarmingly well, uh, allowing people to bring their pets to a place like this. Um, it has worked so well for us that we're not really going to mess with that part of it. Yeah, well, that's a that's a good uh, segue. I mean, you know, the pet loving community is a very strong, tight knit. As it pertains to the community you guys are trying to foster in here, what does that word mean to you, community? Yeah, um, I 
I really enjoy um, in the afternoons when I'm getting ready to leave and seeing a lot of the same faces at the bar. Um, I like seeing, you know, on the weekends and weeknight events that we have um, a lot of returning um, organizations. And uh, that's the biggest part of our community is the organizations that we work with and the people at those organizations um, are um, marketing and event staff and our tap room staff do an excellent job of fostering those relationships. Um, I like to just nudge up to the bar and drink beer with a few regulars. That's my, my community. That's, that's kind of where my community involvement is with this. Uh, um, but yeah, just it, it's speaking our brand to people and, uh, and having them hear that and be receptive to it and keep coming back. I think that's the important thing when you, you know, continue to see the same faces. I think that that's the community that we're looking to grow in as far as inside of our own four walls. Beautiful. Anything to add, Nick? Uh, I mean, not a whole lot, but just going back to like, it's the reason we exist is Mm -hmm. that community, this animal loving community, whether it's obviously we give a lot of attention to people and their dogs, but we're raising money for zoos and humane societies and animal sanctuaries um, who rescue animals that were whatever circus animals or animals from show business that no one wants anymore old racing dogs things like that Mm -hmm. so it's really just i mean that's because that's why we exist everything else kind of puts itself in place it's it's really easy to uh, walk the walk when it's like you don't exist without this community Uh, and that's why i feel like people uh, we get so many regulars they really people connect to it and Mm -hmm. um, i think it's uh, it's really great thing to have a a business that can uh, do some good and uh, can provide beer and uh, an environment that people connect to in that way. I think it's a really special thing. Well, I see when you look around, I can see the interesting mug club that you guys got. You know, give me an idea how the, how the idea of that started. Uh, again, I think traveling. So the owner, um, Michigan has a really big mug club mm-hmm. culture. Uh, so I feel like the idea kind of came from there. There's a couple other breweries around here that do it. Beer, I know, does it. Yep, does uh, Books and Brews has been doing theirs for a long time as well. Big lug. Yeah, big lug. Um, so it's really just a way to foster regular customers and let them know that they're appreciated. And um, and most of the places have like a standardized mug, but we let people kind of bring in their own mug, mm-hmm. uh, which is um, kind of a unique and fun thing. Um, it's a lot of work to kind of maintain it all, but <laughs> yeah. but it's cool to allow people to kind of like, you see some like German, uh, like Steins and Krugs and things yeah. like that, that mm-hmm. are, uh, it's pretty cool to see people drinking out of all of that stoneware and stuff. Very nice. I'll take some pictures of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very cool. fun. Um, coming from a, you know, a brewing background and maybe tinkering and home brewing and whatnot, and now coming into an operation that's successful. You know, uh, it's different than you thought it would be being a brewer for a larger operation than kind of tinkering on your own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely different. Yeah. Uh, so I started as a home brewer. Uh, I was a home brewer for eight years um, before I started professionally brewing. This is my first professional brewing job. Um, but yeah, it's a different thing. It's mostly, I mean, everyone says it, but it's mostly cleaning. Um, it's really like the actual, what people think of making beer is... Uh, we have five full-time staff and one of us spends the day making beer, quote unquote. And uh, we, uh, so that's what 20% of the total time that it takes to make the product is actually making the wort on the brew house. Um, so it's, I think that 
yeah, I just cleaning. I mean, it's mostly cleaning. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Uh, cleaning and then just being meticulous with every process to try to improve things, um, which is the way any good manufacturing plant or food service industry, like any any business, if you're not pushing to improve those little micro improvements, micro improvements over and over and over, um, you're not going to be as successful as we've been here. Yeah. Um, so that's the hardest part is you, there's no stopping. Like right. you're just constantly improving. Yeah. Uh, and it's a lot. Well, you mentioned it earlier. A lot of brewers don't come into this thinking that they're going to be in a manufacturing business. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, they think they're going to be spending more time drinking beer, but just like you said, it's, it's kind of multiple hat wearing and you're essentially a manufacturer. Yeah. Right? So it's, I think it's, a, it's important to see it that way. Yeah. Um, obviously there's some art to it. Um, but you can be as artistic as you want, but if you can't put out a consistent product or a good product, uh, or you can't reliably maintain a schedule, then mm -hmm. it's just all kind of all for naught. Um, at least on the scale we're trying to do it at. Very good. Last question. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite questions to ask is this timing of this three years. And I think three years is a good time, uh, good enough time because you can kind of focus somewhat on the long term, but it's not long enough to where you can't look back. And when I sit down with clients for the first time, I often ask them this question is, over the next three years, what do they want to see accomplished? It could be professionally, financially, emotionally, over the next three years, that if we sat down again, three years from now, we can look back on that initial time frame and say we're on the right track for doing things in a successful way. As it pertains to what you guys are trying to create here with Metazoa, I ask you the same question. Three years from now, if we sat down for another podcast, what would you want to see or envision for what Metazoa could look like three years from now? What would it be? Locker. Uh, <laughs> that's the that's the biggest thing for us right now, and uh, and I think part of that um, really is going to fall on consumers to trust us when we tell them that they want to drink our lockers. Um, there has been some struggle here in the state of Indiana to really um, drink craft lager. I mean, we've got a couple of breweries that are making some really great lager. Um, and it doesn't seem to have been able to like create a real foothold for that. Um, and that's what we want to do. Um, we want to let people know why it's special, why it's like why brewers love love lager, you know, and, and making the leap uh, with some uh, Budweiser drinkers, uh, and connecting those dots for them. Um, if in three years we're selling 10% of our beer is lager, that's what we want to do on that front, at least. Mm -hmm. Very nice. How about you? Um, I want to see us continue on a sort of growth pace that we're on now. We've, excluding 2020, grown 30, 25 to 35% every year. Uh, so I'd love to kind of keep that going for a few more years. Uh, but as a brewer, I am, we've recently kind of started focusing on where our ingredients are coming from. And I want us to get better at sort of giving credit to the hop farms that are growing our hops and uh, talk more about our relationship with Caleb over Sugar Creek Mall, things like that, so we can kind of bring other people up with us. Uh, that's one of the great things about what we're doing here is that we can talk. You mentioned that you like Crocodilian. Mm -hmm. I know that those hops came from CNC Hop Farm in mm -hmm. Moxie, um, Washington. So as we continue to grow and develop, we can start telling those stories better and giving more credit to 
different people and we can help other businesses grow with us as well. Um, and it's, it's just a, it's a really exciting prospect to, to be one of the breweries that helps lift others up. Uh, I feel like that's a lot of fun to, to feature that our coffee for Trash Panda comes from Blue Mountain. Mm. Uh, and just being able to give credit all across the board to, to everyone who makes what we do possible. Awesome. Well, Nick, Rob, thank you for your time, man. Absolutely. Pleasure to meet you. Make sure I'm down doing this. Absolutely. All right. Metazoa, downtown Nibby. Bring your dogs. Pet friendly. Enjoy beer. All right. See you next time. Well, that's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. For the latest on Financial Views with Local Brews, please check out our website at financialviewswithlocalbrews.com. You can also find us on YouTube via our channel there under the same name, Financial Views with Local Brews, as well as follow us on all of our social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, where you can like and connect with us throughout the craft beer universe that we're trying to explore here in the great state of Indiana. As always, cheers. The next round's on me, and I look forward to seeing you for future episodes. Bye, everyone.